Welcome to Full Rigor, a Florida true crime podcast. I'm Karen Curtis. And a couple of new things I want to tell you about. First of all, I'm super excited about my new board that I have for my podcast. It is a road class A servo biased Apex board. And I have applause and laughter and disappointment always. Yeah. And when things get weird and when things get quiet, crickets. So lots of fun here, but not so much a fun podcast this time because I'm going to revisit a year ago when I started my podcast, Full Rigor, Florida True Crime Podcast. I started my first episode on a book that I wrote, The Accuser. It's about Cheryl Arujo. Cheryl Arujo. That's her voice. She's dead now, but she was the Big Dan's gang rape victim who went to court twice a day to put her rapists away and then had to move to Miami because of death threats after the trials. And then she ended up dying down here on a South Florida roadway. Well, since I first published the book back in January of 2019, and since I dropped the podcast, my first Full Rigor podcast, it's like 59 podcasts ago, a lot has changed in terms of news around Cheryl Arujo. Because when I wrote the book, if you went to Wikipedia and looked up Cheryl Arujo, there was a paragraph about her. And now if you go to Wikipedia and look it up, it's a whole long expose about how she changed cameras in the courtroom and how she died in Miami in a single car accident where her car wrapped around a utility pole. Her two daughters were with her in the car. Also what's happened just recently in May, like a couple weeks ago, Netflix has debuted a new series called Trial by Media. And actually it's produced, one of the producers is George Clooney. And it is the true crime docuseries. Some of the most dramatic trials of all time are examined with an emphasis on how the media may have impacted the verdicts. And guess what episode five is about? Big Dan's. It says, after a woman is raped on a bar's pool table, the trial is televised on CNN, revealing the woman's identity and the brutal cross-examination. Until my book came out a year ago, no one was talking about how Cheryl Arujo's experience later affected how rape trials would be covered, especially in the media with the camera in the courtroom. That's what my book's all about. My book also alleges that there was a white van that ran her off the road because I found her daughters in New Bedford when they were adults, and they told me that a white van ran her off the road, that she, that she wasn't drunk and that she was run off the road. Also, I got the FHP accident report that said the daughters had mentioned that a white van had run the vehicle off the road. But there's no mention of that in the Netflix docuseries at all. They don't even bring that up. They just whitewash it away that she was drunk at the time, even though the autopsy report and the accident report and all of the paperwork that was filed initially on the accident had no mention of alcohol. So starting from the beginning, Cheryl Arujo was the victim of one of the most publicized sexual assaults in the 1980s. She was assaulted in 1983, and then there were two trials, which Netflix doesn't point out. They just say there was one trial, but there was a trial in the morning and a trial in the afternoon. There were six defendants, four of whom were convicted, two were not. And she had to testify twice a day. They had a camera in the courtroom, 
which the judge now regrets because when she said her name, her name went public. Cheryl LaRujo. She even had to spell it. How old are you? 22. When were you born? Uh, March 28, 1961. Where were you born? New Bedford. Where were you raised? New Bedford. What schools did you attend? Ashley, New Mandan, New Bedford High. Please tell us your name. Cheryl LaRujo. Might you spell your last name? A-R-A-U-J-O. Man. I feel like I know her, and now to hear her voice, it sounds, she sounds tough, but she's not. She was just a little thing. Short pixie haircut, very slim, small frame. And she sounds a lot tougher when you don't see her face. Now, if you listen to my first podcast about the accuser, my book, you will find out exactly what happens and and what I state in my book. But there's some audio that you did not hear that I now am going to play for you so that we can refute some of the things that were reported on the docuseries on Netflix. So four men, John Cordero, Daniel Silva, Victor Raposo, Joseph Vieira, were charged with sexually assaulting Arujo. And the two others, who were both last name Medeiros, were charged with being accessories to the assault. They were found not guilty because Cheryl said on the stand that she could hear customers in the bar cheering. And as I stated in my last podcast and in the book, Medeiros, Virgil, said to the CNN camera, he pointed right at the camera after he was acquitted, I'm going to get that bitch. So just about two weeks ago, Netflix debuted its docuseries featuring the Big Dan's rape case and Cheryl Arujo. And the episode explores the effects that Arujo's internationally publicized rape trial had on Cheryl herself, New Bedford, and the viewing audience. And what the Netflix docuseries also doesn't point out was that Ted Kennedy was then senator for Massachusetts, and he did nothing to help Cheryl Arujo. And it did kind of talk about there was a Senate Judiciary Committee hearing on how cameras in the courtroom, specifically Cheryl's rape trial, affected the victim especially and the viewing audience. And guess who was part of the Senate Judiciary Committee hearing on this issue? Senator Ted Kennedy, the lion of the Senate. In fact, which wasn't brought up in the Netflix docuseries, Arlen Specter was talking with Pena, the DA, and he said, is it true that a 12-year-old kid raped a 10-year-old girl on a pool table in Rhode Island? He said, yes, they came home from school and watched this CNN trial and all of its verbatim sex terms, oral sex and everything, and he played out what he saw on TV. That wasn't brought up in the docuseries. That was a huge effect of what happened by televising that. And the irony is Ted Kennedy's a part of this Judiciary Committee hearing on rape trials and then becomes part of a rape trial just a few years later in the 90s when he's a witness in the trial of his nephew, William Kennedy Smith, who's charged with raping a woman on Palm Beach over Easter weekend. There were cameras in that courtroom as well. Now, by the time Jodie Foster played the role of the rape victim in The Accused in 1988, Cheryl Arujo was already dead on a South Florida roadway. And of course, Jodie Foster won the Best Actress Academy Award for her portrayal. Or should I say betrayal of Cheryl? Because no money went to her daughters from the movie. Her daughters, Jessica, which is her youngest daughter, and Carrie, her older daughter, who was six at the time of the accident, and Jessica was three. They were both with her in the fatal car crash. The majority of my reviews on Amazon for my book are very good, five stars, except for one. 
that claims that I misrepresented the Portuguese community, which is brought up in the Netflix docuseries how the Portuguese community was very upset by these rape trials and Cheryl's accusations. Cheryl, by the way, was half Portuguese. But her rapists were Portuguese immigrants, many of whom didn't even speak English and needed interpreters. I wasn't saying anything was wrong with the fact that they were immigrants. But what was really interesting is the very first review I got on the book was by Teresa Montanot. And she is from New Bedford, and she writes, wonderful book, five stars. Wow, what a book. As someone who lived in New Bedford during this time, a first-generation American raised in a Portuguese community, I thought I knew the case. I was briefly employed as an interpreter for a reporter on the New Bedford Standard Times. How wrong I was. What this author managed to uncover is incredible. She is a credit to women everywhere. That's the exact goal of my book. The exact reaction that I wanted from my book was to help women and to help Cheryl and to help her daughters. I researched this book for years and years. It's impeccably researched. I had to self-publish because no one would publish the book, so it really wasn't edited, but at least the information is 100% accurate. I really broke new ground with this book. One review of my book was scathing because... The person said I needed to hire a copy editor. In fact, her review was longer than my book. My book really isn't that long. (laughs) Plus, who needs an editor when I have that reviewer? (laughs) First of all, I'm really glad that they did do a docuseries on it because it needed to be talked about. Because Cheryl, as I say in my book, was really the beginning of the Me Too movement. How she found the strength to testify against her four attackers and the two others is beyond me. Also, Esquire covered it recently. Uh, May 18th of 2020, they wrote, The true story of Cheryl Arujo's sexual assault as revisited in Netflix's Trial by Media. So it's really getting a lot of press now and gaining a lot of traction. And one of the sentences that I really like in this article is, In 1984, the Senate held a hearing examining the effects of allowing the New Bedford trial to be aired on television, which I write about in my book, and I actually have the transcript from the hearing that I quote from. And it quotes here as well, Rare is the woman who can endure both the trauma of rape, said the Bristol County, Massachusetts DA, Ronald Pena, which I have his testimony and the trauma of a highly publicized trial, which is absolutely true and one of the reasons that I wrote the book. So at the end of the trial in 1983, four of the defendants were found guilty. And they ended up serving six years, but they could have gotten up to 25 years. So she was dead before they got out of prison, but they got out of prison shortly, roughly around the time the movie came out. And now in the Netflix docuseries, some voice, they don't even identify who it is, says that they spoke with Cheryl's boyfriend after her death on a roadway in Miami, and he said that she was drunk and hit a pole. Well, this is what Arlene, I found Arlene, Cheryl's mom, in New Bedford. I asked her the question, this would have been in 2007, about Michael and what he told her after the accident, and this is what she told me. Did you talk to Michael after the accident? Mm, not right away. What did he tell you that day what happened? He said he really didn't know what happened, that she just drove off the road and got one had a kick. And this one had a broken arm, and I think he had a concussion. Too. Carrie had a concussion. Okay, Carrie had a concussion. And then he came up to the funeral. My mother had her body brought up, and she buried her. And uh, the kids stayed in Florida. Michael personally told me that Cheryl was not drunk that day and would never have driven drunk with the kids in the car. Then Arlene told me something shocking. 
she was a fun and loving person. Um, how she loved her kids. Unreal. You know. Yeah, but she did like to go out once in a while, but who doesn't, you right. know? Right. I don't know, once in a while? Yeah, I don't know, maybe you got No, she was, um, I don't know, her and Michael were together, but in high school. She met in high school, junior high. And, and then did she tell you at all about the incident, like, at Big Dan's? Did she go into the whole thing? About three days later. Oh, she did? Well, she told me some of that. Because I had gone over her house, because I used to go over her house every afternoon. We watched the soap opera, we spent some time with the kids, and, you know, then I'd come home. Did she start to cry? She, no, she just kind of looked kind of blank and sad, you know. Because I mentioned that I had gone over, and I said, it wasn't that a shame what happened to that girl at Big Dan's? And she looked at me. She didn't say nothing for about ten minutes, and she said, that was me. I said, why didn't you tell me? She said, I just didn't want to tell anybody. I said, oh my God, you know, what can I do to help you? She said, right now, nothing. Was she pretty beat up? She was bruised, but she wasn't that badly hurt. She waited three days to tell her own mom. It's just, she wanted it to go away, and so did Michael. And then Arlene told me that the prosecution really had to beg Cheryl to testify. They had to really coax her into uh, testifying, right? Yes, she just wanted it to go away. She just tried to, you know, forget it and pretend it didn't happen. But then everybody knew. And how everybody knew, God only knows. So in the Netflix docuseries, they say that because Cheryl had to say her name on the stand. Cheryl Arujo. So even though they didn't show her face, she had to say her name. Everyone knew who she was. Well, they reported her name before she even testified in the trial. In fact, another woman by the same name, Cheryl Arujo, was mistakenly stalked by the press in New Bedford as well. Now, at the time of the rape trials, almost all jurisdictions in the United States had some sort of a rape shield statute. But then the Violence Against Women Act was passed in 1994. It created a federal rape shield law. And as a matter of courtesy, most newspapers and broadcast media in the United States don't disclose the name of an alleged rape victim during the trial. And if the alleged rapist is convicted, most will not identify the victim. However, if the case is dropped or the alleged rapist is acquitted, most media will no longer shield the name. But that's not what happened to Cheryl. Everybody must happen. I didn't see it. Your mom was like the biggest oh, yeah. rape case of all. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't even put my TV on. Oh, bless her. You know, and, oh, I had the kids there. Did she say anything about, you know, that she was just going to buy cigarettes and someone came up to her and she tried to leave, right? Is what her story was. Well, she had gone in and had a drink. And, and she, she was showing the kids pictures. And Yeah, and she was talking to some girl. She knew a friend of hers. And so she had been to Big Dance. She knew people. There. Oh, yeah. So people said she hadn't been there. Oh, yeah. She knew She knew a couple of people there. She was talking. She told me she was talking to a girlfriend of hers. But she didn't go into detail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she just, I, I really think she just Blame wanted her. to go away. And then, you know, I mean, and, and it just seems like everybody knew it. And she didn't get any help, you know. She didn't get any psychological nope. help. She didn't get any support or help. Nope. She didn't. And like I said, Michael just didn't seem to... He shut down. He, yeah, he, that's what he did. He shut down and just wanted to get the whole thing and pretend nothing ever happened. And they were just moving to Florida to be near his mother. The state paid for that. 
and his mother just didn't care. You know what I mean? I always had that feeling that she didn't care about the show. That is never-before-heard audio that you are hearing for the very first time. I did not air that in my first podcast. I have in the first podcast about the accuser, my interview, parts of it with Carrie, who was then six at the time of the accident, and then like 26 when I found her in New Bedford and had a daughter of her own. They kind of repeat the cycle. Both uh, Jessica was with her mom, Arlene, when I interviewed them. She had a baby named Riley on her hip when I found her in the street there in New Bedford and not married. And then Carrie had also a daughter um, and not married. So they kind of like were repeating what their mom's life was like. And I wanted to do this book and get the story out there to help them financially because they didn't get any money from the movie The Accused. But I wanted to play for you my interview with Carrie because she remembers very well what happened. Some of my detractors say there's no way she could have remembered because she was only six. You judge. I was sitting there. I was pretty sure I was in the front of the seat. I don't really remember the crash. I remember kind of more after. I remember looking over and seeing my mom, very visual, and all of that, exactly. Kind of face, kind of torn. I don't even think her eye was in her socket. And um, she looked at me and she said, get out. Kind of threw myself out the window. I remember just laying on the floor and hearing cars go by. And I woke up in a helicopter with them taking glass out of my feet. So pretty vividly remembers that. And Carrie even said, you know, uh, that she had bad dreams and could see her mom's face in her dreams. And she said that there had been a lot of death threats, that she just, she would wet the bed. Yeah, when I think we got, like, kicked out of the state, basically, for being, like, harassed. And I remember that, yeah, they found us in Florida. And I, I'm pretty sure, I don't know if it was our house or they contacted us somehow. Maybe it was pretty horrifying. I mean, I went to bed and had nightmares until I was 12. You know what I mean? I, every, I had the same dream every day for so long. What was it, your mom's face? Yep. But do you think it's possible that you were being followed? Yeah, I think it's possible. I mean, there was marks on the car that didn't match the color, and it looked like the car had been sideswiped. This is her mom, Arlene. This is what she says about what Carrie told her about the accident. But she just kept saying no. If the animators get off the road, push money off the road, she kept saying that, you know, over the years. Why then? I believe so. She told FHP Troop for that, right? I believe she did. And who do you think it was? I don't know. I personally, myself, I think it had something to do with the guy who said, up here. Uh, yeah, I went to court and that. So at first it looked like retaliation, but when the alcohol showed up in the toxicology report, it was case closed until I reopened it with my book. So I've made progress. We've at least got a Netflix docuseries on the impact that Cheryl's rape trials had on the media and on the viewing public. But I still haven't gotten any traction on the fact that I think that she may have been killed rather than it was a single drunk driver accident. There's something more to this story. I lay it out in my book. I've got all the evidence in there. You can decide for yourself. The book, again, is called The Accuser. You can get it on Amazon. But By the way, the uh, medical examiner who I also interviewed, Valerie Rao, she was the Emmy in Florida here for 37 years. And then apparently there was a problem with her work being too slow. And she ended up, I've seen her on Dateline in Minnesota. So she's still working as an Emmy. But she told me personally that when she opened up Cheryl and her stomach, she smelled a leafy vegetable. And according to Michael, they had eaten what's called kale soup, the soup of the poor for the Portuguese. And so she would smell the kale. If she was had a 0.29 
BAL or blood alcohol level, she would have smelled alcohol. And the ME agreed with me. She just doesn't understand how the toxicology report could come out 10 days later with all that blood alcohol and no mention of it on any of the police reports from the paramedics. I spoke with the FHP trooper, Lieutenant Cole, who was at the scene. None of them smelled any alcohol or thought alcohol was involved. So there's something more to this story. I hope you read my book. We're making progress. I want Cheryl's story to be told a little bit better and for the general masses to know about it. And I would love to have a new movie made called The Accuser that would be a sequel to The Accused, which really tells the true story about how brave this young woman was and how she helped all of us and how she helped start the Me Too movement. I actually sent a copy of my book to Ben Affleck, Oscar Award winner from Massachusetts. If anyone can direct and make a movie based on my book, it would be him, and I would be honored if he did make the movie. Now, please don't think I'm not appreciative of Netflix coming out with a docuseries and including the Big Dan's case. Just because I'm being picky doesn't mean I'm not thankful. But the docu-series did leave out some key points that are in my book. Now, they did make reference that Cheryl had trouble coping after the rapes and the trials. And living in South Florida, she was having major problems. They reported that she had gone to secretarial school, but she was struggling with alcohol. They did not report that at the time of the accident, she was actually in rehab. Also, they did not report that she did have a book and movie deal that she signed and was brokered by a Miami attorney. Hollywood, especially George Clooney, doesn't want you to know about that, that she had her own movie deal in the works before the accused came out after her death. It's all in my book. Thank you, Cheryl. Cheryl Arujo. We love you. Check me out on Instagram at Full Rigger Podcast. Until next time. That wraps up Full Rigger. Thanks for joining me.